My name is Celia Poole and I beat the often path by really just going there where other people don't want to go, especially when it comes to menstrual health and forcing people, largely investors who are male, that this is a really important subject. And this is something that has more of an effect on their life than they think and forcing them to do that and look at it. So yeah, that's the way that I roll. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. I can't believe that I've been able to talk to 50 incredible human beings so far on this show, and we've got another outstanding interview for you today. My guest today is Celia Poole, co-founder of Dame, D-A-M-E, award-winning period products for your body and the planet. Of course, you already knew this, but commercially sold tampons and feminine hygiene products are just horrible for both your body and for the environment, leaching tons of harmful toxins and contributing greatly to plastic waste and so much more on global warming, you name it. Now this small issue affects half of the planet directly and all of us indirectly, so it's about time we started to have an open and serious conversation about topics that were stupidly previously taboo. Celia has received several awards for her groundbreaking carbon-positive startup, Dame, and she really embodies the spirit of the social entrepreneur. We've got a fabulous chat queued up for you today. So, here's Celia Poole. Well, what a fascinating start to this episode. Thank you for joining me, Celia. That's I'm already intrigued. <laughs> okay, so, what is it, what's the mission that you have set yourself out upon here? So we, I'm the co-founder of Dame and we make sustainable period products. And basically we believe that women and the planet deserve better. And that is looking at everything across the range from acceptability of these products, accessibility of these products and sustainability of these products. Um, And those are like the really three key pillars that we look at. So we have things like our world's first award-winning reusable tampon applicator. Uh, We have organic cotton tampons, which are biodegradable and compostable. And we have reusable period pads. Well, that's quite a start already. Um, So how did you come about this problem? How did you become aware that this was a problem? And how did you figure out that it was something that you wanted to solve? Well, I definitely didn't start out life thinking that I wanted to become a tampon salesperson. You didn't? Uh, no. I thought that was everybody's initial goal. <laughs> Bizarrely, that was never in my kind of like list of ah. things to do. But okay. no, it's kind of like it, it randomly, I've always been like a massive raging feminist. Mm-hmm. And I knew that when I finished, when I just had my first child and was deciding to go back into the world of work, I was just like, I I want to do something that has purpose. I have no idea what that is, but I know I want to do something with purpose. I know I want to do something around supporting women, but I have no idea what that is again. And it was through a chance conversation with who is now my co-founder, where we got to talking about tampons for some reason. And for me, the interest that I had was never around the actual tampon itself. It was more around the kind of wider discourse. My baby was a girl and I was amazed by the fact that the same attitude was still around with tampons that it was 
decades before when I first got my uh, period and I wanted it to change for my daughter. And I thought, okay, this can't really happen. We've got to change the conversation in this. And that's how it started out. But we very quickly after sort of running a business for a while realized that actually we wanted to take it down a more sustainable path. Interesting. So what was the initial idea then? What did you want to change in the beginning? So the initial idea was a business called Sanitary Owl. It was a pun on sanitary towel, which we thought was hilarious. And we therefore just had basically lots and lots of fun sitting on a sofa with laptops coming up with stupid puns day after day. See, and you were giving me, you were giving me crap for the pun of my show. Now I see (laughs) that that's not fair. (laughs) So sanitary hell, yeah. You've got to love Very clever. Yes, always. um, Always plugging. And we... Yeah, so basically we were doing that for a while and that was all centered around convenience and choice and making the subject matter uh, more normalized. And it was only actually when we really got to look up close and personal with the subject that we saw that these products are not regulated in the EU, which is where Mm. I'm from. I'm from the UK. They're not regulated. So that thing which you think is white and cotton and fluffy isn't because they don't have to disclose the ingredients. Mm. And when we actually got closer to it, we saw that they are filled with all sorts of synthetic substances, which you know nothing about. There is so much plastic waste that comes from them. I mean, the stats are scary. I think it's 100 billion period products are thrown away every year. And the majority of these are non-recyclable because they've touched the body and they've got blood on them. And that's a huge amount of things. This is a product which it's not a choice. It's not a coffee cup. It's not a plastic bag. You know, half the population get their period every month. And this is really, really important thing that people weren't really talking about. Mm. And so for us, that was the real sort of like wake up calls. We're like, okay, right. We really want to make sure that we can do something in this space. That's wonderful. You know, it may surprise you, but I've done a little bit of digging on the subject and I found some truly horrifying stats, as you well know. Um, Saw an article on Time that said there's chemicals that are often in these things, um, something called endocrine disruptors. They mess with hormones in your body's endocrine system, which has been linked to brain disorders, reproductive issues, obesity, cancer, horrible things. And that's just one component. There's also exposure to phthalates. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, which has been linked to developmental issues like lower IQs and higher rates of asthma. So there's just a laundry list of terrible things for the body, for the human. And then there's the environmental side, which is, like you said, the plastic waste. So how quickly did you become aware of the scope of this problem? I think, you know, it took us like a a few years of working in the industry to really to really see it for what it was and do some really good digging. And that's the the thing is like, it's difficult to do digging because this market is controlled by a monopoly of companies. And Mm. that as everyone hopefully is like, right, you're realizing now there is such minimal funding done into women's health. Mm. So therefore all these issues, like you're saying, that can come of something that is sitting inside your body or sitting against your skin for hours and hours and actually cumulatively years of your life. Right. People aren't really registering what that's doing them to them. And I remember right. finding it fascinating, like speaking to friends of mine and being like, wait, hold on. You are thinking what you're putting in your mouth every single time, but you are not thinking about what you're putting in one of the most important places of your body. And you're yeah. just leaving something there completely right. done on trust. And all of this is done because 
we've been sold a marketing line of discretion and people needing to keep this subject a taboo and not talk about it. No one needs to know you're on your period. You know, that's helped keep kept, keep the whole thing mm. going and perpetuating. And I think now is the time that things need to stop and people actually really need to start looking at what they're putting inside their bodies. Absolutely. Yet another racket uncovered. And I found this interesting quote from Amy Zoda, assistant professor of environmental health at George Washington University. She says, quote, unlike something you swallow, substances you place inside your vagina may not go through the body's typical elimination and metabolic processes. Instead, tampon chemicals are absorbed by the vaginal mucosa and from there are able to pass almost directly into your bloodstream. So not only is it something that people aren't thinking about. It's actually worse than stuff that you eat because there's essentially no protection against these kinds of chemicals. Yeah, there just needs to be a lot greater funding going into women's health because there is such a range of issues that women face like day on day, which we push down and we just get on with. And, you know, we did a really interesting survey with our customers um, recently where we asked them, okay, like since using our products, what have you felt? And we had amazing stats, like over 50% said that they get lighter periods now. Wow. Uh, it was around sort of 70% say that they get less painful periods. Like these are incredible things, which of course, if you're putting something more natural in your body, you are going to get a better reaction to it. But we haven't been making that connection. And this is why I'm very lucky that I now sit on a board of women's health where we are pushing in the UK to get better funding for women's health so that we can find out what is actually going on with our bodies with these products that we're being sold. Too damn smart for your own good? Want to lower your IQ by 10 points while you wait? Introducing Synthetic Musk, newly scented feminine hygiene products only from RP. Now available in two life-altering flavors, Toxic Cherry, that's cherry with a T in front of it, and Landfill Lychee. Harm the planet and yourself in the process with Synthetic Musk brand of feminine hygiene products, only from RP. Well, maybe describe to me the journey. So you have this idea, you become aware of this problem, you have a co-founder, Alec Mills, um, how did you get started with this idea? What were the first steps that you took? Well, when we decided to pivot the company and turn it into Dame, you know, neither of us had like a solid background in product design. Like I come from a project management background in the art world. He comes from, from finance. And But I think what both of us realized is actually, like anything, talking to people is the most important thing, reaching out, having discussions. Alec did work in finance, but is a very like creative person and basically sat there with a notebook, drawing, drawing, designs, designs, and really making sure that we were honing down what exactly it was that we wanted. And I think one of the most important things that we realized really early on in our journey was as much as we wanted to do this from a sustainability and health play, we really needed to make sure that the product looked beautiful because at the end of the day, that's what sells. And then we knew if we wanted to convert people across to this, we needed to make sure that we were selling something very design-led. So that informed all of our decisions and really led us down a journey of partnering, partnering with some incredible freelancers, majority of who are women, because we wanted to make sure that we were using women at every step of the way. Sure. Um, and it really led us down to that classic kind of startup, lean okay, we've got a prototype, what do we do with it now? Is this just a crazy idea between the two of us? 
what's the cheapest way to work it out? Let's put it yeah. on Kickstarter. And so Kickstarter for us was the real boost for us to go forward because that was when things really got interesting. Fascinating. What was the target that you set on Kickstarter? So we set our target for £20,000 and we ended up raising just under 120000 Whoa. How did you get the word out about it? Uh, we didn't really. We got picked up by a lot of a lot of people like we were just two tiny people you know we hired like uh, a tiny press person to kind of put some stuff out and suddenly it blew up and I think the reason why it blew up was because this is the kind of thing that people were looking for and you know we ended up trending on Twitter on day three of our campaign we had all sorts of bonkers people talking about us and that led to lots of retailers getting in touch with us wanting to stock this product which for us was bonkers because this was a product which we hadn't even built at this stage that's so cool so very quickly then you were aware we've tapped into something here almost immediately it sounds like yes i think it came at a time where suddenly this plastic crisis came into the forefront of people's minds and you know, consumers were were pushing the market in that direction and saying that we want to make a better change. We just don't know how to do it. And they were wanting to look for ideas like ours, which were making those changes very simply. Because I think that's the really important thing to remember is there have been other examples of, for in our sector, more sustainable products, things like menstrual cups, which have been around for decades. Right, I've seen those. Because yeah. there wasn't that connection, that bridging gap between people having to use something totally different to what they used before and really alien to them because there right. were companies like ours who were trying to bridge that gap and make it easy for the consumer. I think that's mm. what really resonated. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. So you've you met your goal or you exceeded it by 500% or whatever it is. Um, you have this funding. What did you do with the funding? What did you decide to do with the excess that you got from the Kickstarter? Buy a tampon shaped plane? No, we didn't. Exactly, we, I knew we, it. <laughs> no, no, we literally, that all went into production. And actually, we needed more to get into production as well. So that was, it was all very much needed and used. And we then set about for the rest of that year, really getting the whole thing kicked off. Because at that stage, we suddenly then started having orders from uh one of the most major supermarkets in the UK so we needed additional funding in order to get that order into production so it was a very very busy year and then we properly launched uh in 2019 um in both uh a major UK supermarket and online wow and nobody else was doing this were you the first or were there other small people trying it so we were the first and and yeah, it was really interesting. We've since had people, other people come in behind us. Um, we've even actually had like a major brand trying to come in behind us as well, which, you know, is quite flattering really because it means that actually we are predicting and moving the category where it's going. Right. Um, and since then, we've gone on to launch in several other like quite high profile uh, UK uh, companies such as Sainsbury's, Waitrose Boots, Ocado, ASOS. And... And yeah, it's been incredible to see the trajectory and not just that, but to see the doors open to us from many other areas. Like we are a tampon brand, which traditionally is the thing that, you know, no one really wants to be associated with. Mm, right. but we have won a design award from Design, which is like an international body. We have 
uh, had fashion brands wanting to partner with us, we uh, managed to get a really high-profile campaign up on 200 London buses in the UK. I saw and that. So, I saw those images. Really cool. Those double-decker <laughs> buses looked great. Yeah, they were amazing. That was a really awesome story because that was an image from one of our customers that she posted of herself in her underwear with her tampon string hanging out. And we said it was such a beautiful image because she was really owning it and she was really normalizing it. And so we yeah. thought, okay, right. What better way to make this subject matter more acceptable than put that image on a bus mm -hmm. to make people see that actually that is a beautiful image. It's a normal image. It's not something to hide or be scared about. And it was incredible the amount of reaction that we got from it. That's very cool. And, you know, forgive me for saying so, but, uh, the UK has a bad history of provocative things on the buses from the Beatles <laughs> to Alice Cooper. <laughs> was there public outrage or was there an outcry of these things shouldn't be on buses or was the response positive? Do you know what was really interesting was actually the, the more pushback we had was trying to get it onto public places in the first place. We have people saying that it was in those companies which hold the keys Right. We're saying that it was too racy. Mm -hmm. um, we had people saying that it was too much. I think when we were talking about TV advertising, it was too much before breakfast. Um, but actually, when we got it out there, I think we had one complaint, two complaints. It was so minimal. And that in itself was wonderful because what we were trying to do wasn't to be deliberately provocative. We were still trying to just make it normal. And that's what we're always trying to do is just level up. Yeah. And you, you had history. You were on the right side of history, clearly. So that's always good. And, you know, one thing that's always bothered me is when people think about personal changes, you know, swapping out a light bulb for an energy-efficient light bulb, changing tiny things, eating less meat, there's often this sentiment these days that the individual can't make much of a difference, that it's the corporations. You know, if I recycle some plastic or don't use plastic, it doesn't matter because Coca-Cola is pumping out so many billions of plastic bottles per day. I've never really bought that argument because people act like these corporations dictate everything. And to some degree they do, but also our behavior dictates how much business they can do. So if we all stop drinking Coca-Cola, then there's going to be fewer bottles out there. So I've never bought the idea that what you do doesn't matter. And I think in even something as small as this, as seemingly small as this, can be exactly what's needed to make big changes. Do you feel the same? Totally. It's, I think it's complete bull that like, your individual decisions don't have an effect. You are the market. You are the way that the market is going. And if you show the market that you want to go and use other things, even in your incremental small steps, it starts a ripple effect of the way those big companies are behaving. Case in point in the fact that we launched a reusable tampon applicator two years ago. We now have one of our major competitors who are trying to get in on it as well. Like they hear those signals and they want to change as well. I think what's obviously important is making sure that we all push for legis legislative change and making sure that you get in touch with, for here in the UK, your local MP, making sure that you are pushing for the right kind of people to, to be making those bigger changes for you. But 100% you need to be doing those market changes yourself, because otherwise nothing will change. There will be no pressure on anyone to do anything. And what, what are some of the legislative changes that you would like to see? I think for us, definitely, you know, there's going down, uh, um, looking towards 
bans of single use as much as possible. It's looking towards much greater funding going into women's health and going into the research around women's health. I think for us, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there is a condition called endometriosis, which is an incredibly painful um, condition affecting women in their periods. And they, on average, sort of like one in 10 people get it. Uh, In the UK, I think it's an average seven-year diagnosis to work out that you've actually got it. And this is something that's affecting one in 10 people. And you can imagine if that was affecting one in 10 people of the male population, would we be talking about the same kind of thing where once once a month they were in incredible pain for a few days? Like, right. would we still be having the same conversation? And so really increasing the amount of funding that we can get into those key areas uh, is something that I'm a big, big advocate of. That's That's such a good point. And also, I've read that they contain, you know, things like fragrances. And there was even a documentary about what fragrance means. I can't remember what it's called, but fragrance is just a blanket term for any number of chemicals, many of which are horrible, and they're also not ever really defined, right? Totally. And also, should you be telling a girl who's sort of 10, 11, 12, getting her period for the first time, that she needs to be fragranced? Because right. in effect, you're telling her that she stinks and you're telling yeah. her that this natural bodily odor of hers is wrong. And yeah. you think about the effect that that has on a girl's confidence, the ripple effect it has into what she feels about her body, how she communicates her body to other people. Yeah. And you actually see that this issue that we're trying to push it just isn't about periods. It's about a wider issue of making sure that confidence levels are still there because there is right now an uphill struggle for people who are getting their periods to think, okay, I'm cool about my body. When we're told that we need to fragrance it, we need to Mm. wash it, we need to hide it, we need to not talk about it. Um, That needs to stop. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So many horrible things. I've got a list here. I just keep reading and it's all just terrible. <laughs> all the additives and various it's stuff. And that's cool. just yeah, on the body. We need to get some puns in. We need to get some lulls in. Yes. So, so, okay. So tell me a funny story. Then. What's a funny <laughs> startup story? Oh, uh, God. I'm trying to think of some funny startup stories. I mean, the thing is with us, we obviously like to, to kind of get, I'm trying to think of stuff that I could actually say on air, which I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> It's a podcast. Uh, it's not daytime TV, so it's okay. <laughs> Whatever you want to say is is good. I think it's it's the kind of thing where just getting people to to force and confront saying those kind of words and those kind of topics is amuses us. Like we were on, I think you've got the uh, a US equivalent of it, but we call it Dragon's Den. Oh yes, yes, uh, we call that Shark Tank. Yes, I'm familiar yeah, with Dragon's Den. We were on it for our like previous business, and um, uh. and you know, being able to go up to these investors who were trying to kind of act it up for TV and talk about stuff and and really kind of like turn it on them and get them to really confront and force them to talk about like periods and blood and stuff like that. That was obviously like something that is always quite enjoyable, especially when you've got people right. like that. You're um, trying to like force their hand and lead them down the path. You're like, and where do we insert this in our vagina? no say more say more yeah but I think like there's a ripple effect of that you know you you, like saying that is really good like I have my son I've got um three kids I have my six-year-old son the other day 
who came like most kids do and came and like bashed me uh in my vagina yes and and he was like peanuts and which is what obviously he calls testicles and I was like oh and he said oh god sorry 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 um I meant to say vagina and I was like that's not what I'm cross about (laughs) (laughs) when political correctness goes too far uh yeah. That's that's very funny. And yeah, that's the same. I only have I have one daughter myself. She just turned three years old. And for me, it's very important. Well, there's a number of things that are important to me. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is it's important to me, like you said, that the world that she grows up in is different. As a father, I don't want her to have many of the problems that have been around since forever. That's part of it. But the other part of it as well is I want her to see examples of people like you, of women who have taken matters into their own hands and who have, without asking for permission from somebody else, decided to make that change. Because I want her to feel empowered in her life, not just I'm a victim of circumstance, but I can shape the things that are around me. I can influence the system if I don't like the system. So what's a message that you would have to the young girls out there who might be wondering what they can do either in business or creating a social change? I think, first of all, that's awesome that you're trying to um, engage her in that way. I think a really key thing as a young person, especially someone who's still at school, is get out there and try and talk to people. Like, I get quite a few approaches from people wanting to ask me questions about what we've done, get advice. And I love it when they're school age kids, because those are the ones who I think are the ones I really want to get on the phone with and I really want to talk to. And part of what I think myself and Alec have done really well in our business is we've always gone out and asked questions of people. We've always thought, okay, right. If there's a problem in front of me, someone else out there has had the same problem, maybe in a different guise, but someone else has had the same problem. So by going and knocking on doors, by going and chasing people down on LinkedIn or like stalking them on Instagram and getting in touch with them and saying, hi, I have this question. It looks like you might have the answer. Do you mind giving me five minutes? That I think is really important because by doing that, you're forcing yourself to move forward, which I think quite a lot of the time, most of us are quite scared to do. Mm. And you're really opening up your mind and opening up your network to so many different ideas, different people. And there is such power as a young person to be able to do that. Like I said, I'm much more inclined to give my time to young people than I am to other people who I think probably can get it from somewhere else. So really as a young person, like push yourself out there because you only have that currency for a short time until you become old like the rest of us. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Tell that to the TikTok generation. That's what they need. They need to know. They, They think their youth is forever. It will always be there. And then one day they're left with something else. Yeah, just a lot of videos of themselves. Yes, exactly. My esteemed audience, what a show this has been and will continue to be. I'm interrupting the action here to bring you a small little message. It takes great work to put these kinds of shows together, massive amounts of work behind the scenes, and I really hope you enjoy these kinds of stories and that you derive value from them. So if you do, all I ask is that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, like, comment, and most importantly, share the episode with somebody who needs to hear it. The only way that we can spread the word about these messages and people and important missions and companies like Dame 
is if you take the time to share it with somebody who might benefit from it. That's how we can all make a difference, however small, in this crazy world of ours. That's all I ask. So now back to the show. Do you feel that the younger generation is more open to these types of subjects than the older generation? I mean, that's sort of what we believe intuitively, I think. Do you know, it's really interesting. So we, um, as a small company, just won this uh, award from this government body in the UK. And as part of the award, we were given some grant money to go and spend on a project. Most normal people would have actually gone and done a project which actually benefited their sales, but we decided to go and do an innovation camp for teenage girls, where we essentially got 20 girls from all across the UK, from diverse backgrounds, aged 16 to 17, and got them to Oxford University for five days, where we ran this innovation camp, bringing in amazing speakers from all different types of industry. And part of the reason was to help us co-create our new team product because there's no point in us launching a team product without finding out first from teens what they want. And second of all was to really get these girls at a certain stage of their development and say, like, this is what's possible. Mm. Like, you might think it's difficult to go and do this, but here are people who have done it and they're going to explain to you the baby steps that they took. And I think what was fascinating about that is I think because we led with such an open discourse on day one, they were very open as well. And it was very fresh in their minds. But it was interesting to see that still there were some people saying that they did feel a bit embarrassed about this. They wouldn't have done it like this at home or at school, they feel like this. So I think there still is that taboo nature. But I think with the rise of social media, there is a much more bigger appetite to talk about things and to share things than there ever has been before. That's so true. It's such an interesting thing because I see that they're more open generally to all kinds of social issues and social justice. Um, but there is still that topic of bullying and rampant social media, which is just, it's an interesting dichotomy that I've always seen. It's both really from, from you know, a distanced observer standpoint. But I do think that generally speaking, they're much more open to ideas that were taboo in previous generations and to and they're more supportive of different ways of living and different ways of being, which is probably the most encouraging thing to Definitely. come out of I platforms think that, like that. They're also a lot more um aware and wanting to hold people to account True. for not living up to things, which is really Very interesting. True. And I mean, there's a whole other conversation we can have on public shaming, which I find really interesting. But yeah. making sure that the companies that they're looking at, the brands that they're buying into, making sure that those people are upholding values that they deem critical. Whereas I think definitely me as a teenager, you know, I wasn't considering much of that at all. Um, but I do agree with you. I think it is really interesting, this balance that they're having to do where they're they're getting this freedom of information this freedom of awareness but it's coming at a cost mm -hmm. yeah so true the issues of our times and why black mirror is such a good and terrifying show <laughs> it's all rolled up in it it's exciting and terrifying at the same time yeah um i did want to talk about the fact so you, you were certified as the uk's first carbon neutral plus brand so what does that mean Truly the first in the whole UK? What does that mean? Uh, so basically it means that we did a massive assessment of all of our carbon and really kind of like went into the whole detail of all our supply chain, worked out how much our carbon was, 
And then we offset it not once, but twice. And that was basically for us like a real sort of like starting off gap to make sure that we are heading in the right direction. And since then, we have been really going into our carbon uh, footprint even more and making sure that we can make changes. And every year we publish an impact report, which again, for a two-year-old company with really small team is quite a big feat to do. But for us, it's really important because it's holding us to account. And mm-hmm. we um, certified as B Corp a couple of years ago. And that constantly pushes us to make sure that we really are improving, iterating, because we'll hold our hands up. We definitely don't get it right all the time. And we definitely didn't get it right at the beginning. But I think having that accountability is really important so that we can see, okay, right, we need to make changes here. This isn't good enough. We need to keep pushing. Sure. And how do you balance which is a great thing about social entrepreneurship. How do you balance the the need to make money, both for you and for your team, with your greater mission goals? Where do you see that? How, how do you make that choice of we have to get money in this way, but or we have to forego money? I think when I was introduced to B Corp, I loved it because I loved that whole concept, that duality of profit and purpose. And I think that's one of the big drivers behind what we do is we want to prove that you can make a profit and still do things the right way. We are very profit driven because without companies who are making a profit, this is consigned to the charity sector. It's consigned to NGOs. It's consigned to stuff which it shouldn't be. We need to make sure that this can actually work in a capitalist system. Yes, it's always not easy because quite often, you know, the the sort of most commercial choice is the one which is the cheapest, which so many times and so many painful decisions we've had to say no to. But it sits within this, I guess, sort of delicate scales where we think and we weigh up, okay, right, what what is the best choice that we're going forward? But we do have this set criteria written into our articles, which is all about balancing profit with purpose and making sure that we are doing things which are benefiting environment, society. Mm -hmm. I I love that. And that's that's I think in a nutshell what I'm sort of all about with this show. Is in one of my previous guests, the founder of EcoBags, Sharon Rowe, she has a book called The Magic of Tiny Business where she talks about this. It's just awesome. I love that concept because money is important. That's the thing. Obviously, you need to make money and you can't do much without money, but I just love the idea of people who say who set a ceiling on what is enough or who have a concept of what is enough. How much money do we need to make versus how much good do we want to do instead of the traditional model of we just need to make billions of dollars at all costs and who cares how or, you know. So to me, that's such a a great spot to be in to say, okay, as long as we're taking care of ourselves, and we can go forward. I have deep admiration for people who do that. Totally. And it's like, if you think about it, it's a more sustainable way of, of all of us living on this planet. Because if all the money is funneled into one company, Facebook, you know, what is everyone else going to do? Spread that out, spread the love out, because there's plenty of it to go around. And there's plenty of it to make sure that we all live good lives. Yeah. But we somehow get lost in this drive for growth for growth's sake. Like, got to yes. keep growing, got to keep growing. And it's like, what are you growing to? Like right. nothing ever grows forever. There's, you know, every single bubble pops. Like, where are you taking this? Right. And that I think is is exciting to see in some companies that are coming up now where they realize actually, 
you know, we can balance this out with other things. That's so true. And there's an old Tony Robbins quote, love him or hate him, where he says, if somebody won't give 10 cents of a dollar, they won't give 100,000 out of a million dollars later. Meaning that you have to bake these things in at the beginning. You have to set that mission at the start because nobody ever brings it in later. Or if they do, it's really half-assed. You know, they'll, oh, a billion-dollar company, we, we donated $100,000 to women's research. Great. Awesome. Good work. That's, that's you know, it's just a, a token thing. So I just love that idea so, so much. Um, and you've been recognized by a few things. You've got a few awards I've seen. So you've got, tell me about this, uh, what is it, Dizine Award? What is this Dizine Award? Yeah, so that uh, Dizine is one of the sort of biggest design entities uh, like around Europe. And they held, I remember so clearly when we did the award ceremony, it was really sort of like fairly early on in our journey. And we were invited to the Tate Modern, which is this really prestigious um, art museum in London. And we came in there and there were all these incredible like architects and designers from around Europe. And we were shown our table and it was right at the back of the room and our chairs were facing the loose. And we thought, okay, well, we know which way this is going. Wow. And so sat there facing away from the stage and then suddenly heard our name called. And yeah, it was jaw-dropping to be in a room surrounded by all these incredible designers and have a tampon applicator recognized as being something that could sit alongside of them. Um, yeah, it was a bonkers moment, which I think helped really fortify and put us where we wanted this to be seen is basically taking it out from the bathroom cupboard and putting it on the shelf. That is so cool. And later you were recognized by Vuv Clico Bold Future Award. What's that award about? So Vuv Clico is a champagne brand, um, which is obviously a nice award to win because you can guess how you celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's amazing, actually, because the story behind it is um, Madame Clico, who started off the brand, started off the vineyard uh, uh, decades ago, was a true female pioneer. You know, she was one of the only and first women to really own uh, a champagne uh, vineyard. And that's awesome. Since then I didn't they've know that. Been, yeah, that since then they've been recognizing women in business for the last, I think, nearly 50 years. And oh, great. And yeah, it was incredible. It happened last year in lockdown. And it was an incredible thing because since then have managed to uh, meet lots of other awesome female entrepreneurs as a result. That's so great. So do you feel that this legitimized your story? Has Have these awards helped your business or has it changed the arc of your journey in any way? I think they definitely do help recognition. I mean, to be honest, like awards are awards. They're all quite fluffy at the end of the day. Like yeah. real proof is in the pudding and what you're trying to do. And our ultimate aim is to essentially get as many people onto reusables as possible. And that can be our products, it can be other people's products, but making yeah. sure that people realize that reusables is a really valid option to go to. Um, and so therefore, if awards help us get there and help us get to that goal quicker, brilliant. But that is the focus. That's so great. And going forward, what is, what's your target? What's your goal for the next year, the next two, five uh, so we are looking to take significant market share from the big players and really set ourselves up as, as the alternative choice to the mainstream, because 
we have to be sitting alongside them in order to be taken seriously. And we're already doing that through our distribution on shelf. Um, we need to do that a lot more through our education, through listeners like yours really realizing, okay, cool, there are other options out there that I can use for my period. Or thinking my daughter is about to get hers rather than start her off on a whole path of disposables. Let's just start her off on really good habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really sort of big focus for us over the next 12 months. I love that. So now I'm going to get into this moment, you know, it's a three act structure. So we have to go to act two here. What is the lowest moment? What's the worst moment in the entrepreneurial journey? The worst day? What is the biggest setback? Oh my God, there are so many (laughs) (laughs) challenges and setbacks that kind of like really power of the cause and often outweigh the good. Um, I think like the COVID thing was a real killer. We, uh, in February, 2020 had been, uh, in Geneva, about to close a round of funding, high-fiving each other because we were like, Uh, yay, now our company can grow from like four people into more people. We've got to get all this money to be able to do all this incredible stuff. And then March hit and sort of two weeks later or three weeks later, we were literally hugging each other in the office, saying goodbye to each other and thinking, we can survive this. Where is it going to go? And that was really low and at that stage you know we'd already hired some people so it was about onboarding these people and making sure that we could keep their jobs for them and really like pushing through to find out how we were going to survive we ended up surviving and actually growing but yeah it was a tough tough time yeah that sounds good I'm glad you're able to grow are you doing the whole remote thing are you still remote or back in the office now so we have been doing the remote thing. We're now back in the office, but people are coming in and out. And and yes, as I said to you earlier, we had our first like all team together yesterday where we might have celebrated with a few drinks. <laughs> and it was so nice to okay. have, yeah, to have that connection again. It's been so cool. To do something fun for once instead of just stressing out alone. Yes, That's, exactly. Uh, in, in your own cavernous void. Yes. Yeah. It's or having like yeah, another kind of like dry Zoom drinks, which just never really work as well. Yeah, yeah. In theory, it's great, but you get tired of it after a while, that's for sure. <laughs> um, in your personal life, would you say that you feel, how, how fulfilled do you feel with your current life, one to ten? Uh, seven. Seven, okay. So what's the good, yeah. what's the bad? What's, what's the remaining three? The remaining three is to get, the thing is it's a real sort of catch-22. It would be to get a better balance between family life and work life, but I know that's not true. I know there is no such thing as balance. One is always going to take priority of the other. Um, So I think there will always be that kind of push and pull because, you know, half of your heart wants to go and look after your three babies and then there's another baby on the other side, which needs a lot of attention as well. So I think there always will be that uh, yeah. that difficulty, but I think trying to kind of resolve myself to not get too hung up on it is is a key part. Yeah, completely agree. That's so wonderful. Well, this has been truly a, a joy for me to be discussing these things with you. Um, I really have great admiration and respect for what you've been able to do. I hope that you know we can all help create this change. Um, I wanted to ask, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received from a mentor from anybody book oh, i mean 
It's such an old, obvious one, but this too shall pass is mm, yeah. just, it's really cliched and really kind of used. Again I love and again. that one. But it just really is like, you can just feel like you're in the thick of it. And then just having that, like, it's going to pass. Like there will be another day, there will be a better day. And yeah. I think that is always, especially when you run your own business and you are faced with all these challenges that seem to come up again and again, knowing that it's an ever-changing thing is is something you cling on to like a life raft. Right. That's such a good wisdom. It's one of my favorite Buddhist stories has the exact same, or Zen stories, if you will, same exact premise. You have an old farmer and something bad happens to his son. And he says, essentially, this too shall pass. And the people say, aren't you upset? He says, basically, no. And then the army comes around to draft all of the young men. And of course, his son isn't drafted because he's injured. And they say, oh, what good fortune. And then he says, this too shall, it just keeps going on like that. I love that. One of my favorite stories of all time. A great, great piece of advice. Um, so yes, we've covered a lot of ground. We've done a lot of statistics. I'm going to say a few more just for the fun of it to really drive the point home. There was a cleanup 2014. They found thousands and thousands of plastic tampon applicators in the ocean. Animals mistake these things for food, obviously. Uh, it's one of the leading causes of uh, global warming is this type of bad plastic that's often found in these types of things. So there's essentially, depending on who you ask, feminine hygiene products should uh, not be flushed, obviously, but they often are, and they're causing problems for utilities that amount to billions of dollars in maintenance and repair costs, costs which ultimately are passed on to the consumer in one form or another. So there's tons of stuff that people should look up about this topic and realize that they should make that decision for themselves, for somebody that they love, for somebody they care about. Um, I'm so glad that you're at the forefront of of this issue. I'll continue to support you. Um, but speaking of which, I wanted to kind of give you the last word here. So what? how can people support you? What kind of thing would you like to see them do if they take anything away from this episode? Well, I think obviously, ideally, you know, if you want to go and check out wearedame.co, where all our products are, and if not that, looking at other reusables, but I think the real thing and where this stems from is just talking about this subject. Talk about it to your friends, talk about it to your boyfriends, to your father, to your sons, to your nephews, to your nieces, whoever it might be. The more we normalize this, the better it will be for everyone. We just need to start treating this bodily function as a normal piece of thing. I completely agree. You have a fan over here. I will continue to support you again. Thank you very much for taking the time. I'm sorry that it uh, is after an eve of merriment, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it went great. So it's all good. Um, thank you again. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. And uh, yes, so I hope everybody listening takes something valuable away from this. And with that, the official part of this podcast is over. Well, that's it for the 50th episode. And I can't think of a better guest to have for the 50th episode version of this show. Celia is such an incredible person and her mission is so great. And of course, like so many great businesses, it taps into a larger conversation that we need to be having. It's stuff like this that fills me with hope about the future. It's stories like these that make us feel less powerless in this crazy world where almost everything seems to be heading the wrong way sometimes. 
So we have to cling to these stories of positivity, of hope, and most importantly, of people taking control of their lives and of making a change, however small, in the world. If you like these kinds of stories, just remember that it takes incredible effort to bring these things to you. So all I ask is that you subscribe on any podcast platform, rate the show five stars, leave a nice review, and of course, support Celia and her mission in any way you can. Share her company, share this story, share it with people who might need to hear it today. That's it. I'm so grateful to have been able to sit down with 50 of some of the coolest people I've ever encountered in my entire life. And here's to 50 more. Thank you for being a listener of the Beat the Often Path podcast. I appreciate you more than you know, and I will see you next week.